This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Back in the lab, Reggie and Luke back at it. Another episode of Superior Sports Talk presented by Locked On Sports Minnesota. What's happening, Reggie? Oh, man, it's Friday. It's the weekend. Here with my guy, Luke Mm. underscore spin. TGIF wouldn't want to do it with anybody better than Reggie Wilson himself. Got a good show lined up. Talking Twins Yankees home run derby last night. Who the next KJ Osborne's (laughs) going to be for the Vikes this year. Plus later, we're taking a blast from the past with some flashback Friday. It's all coming up on Superior Sports Talk. But first, save time and money when using Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family-served business serving do-it-yourselfers like Reggie and I for over 20 years. Reliably low prices for every customer, from brake parts to tail lamps, even new carpet for your vehicle. Go to rockauto.com today and see all the parts available for your car or truck. That's rockauto.com. All right, well, let's talk about those twins, shall we? Twins Yankees put on a show last night, more like a home run derby taking place at Target Field. The fireworks guy couldn't keep up. He was putting in overtime last night. Twins start the bottom of the first with back-to-back-to-back home runs. Luis Arise, Byron Buxton, Carlos Correa. You love to see it. Didn't we say yesterday that this 1-2-3, this part of the lineup, was going to be ridiculous once they got warmed up, at least entertaining at the very minimum? They jump out to a quick three-run lead. This was the New York Yankees, though. Hottest team in baseball. They tie it up quickly, three apiece. And then guess who? Byron Buxton goes bomb shot, three-run blast. Twins take a 6-3 lead over the Yankees in the second. Larnick says it's okay. All right, my turn. Solo shot in the third. All of a sudden, you look around. The Twins are up 7-3 against the Yankees. Target Field was just going bonkers at this point. Lock it up. Minnesota Twins, your 2022 World Series championships. Lock it up. (laughs) It's over. Done deal. Dylan Bundy keeps them close for four innings, but then in the fifth, Gallo homers to start things off. Bundy gets yanked. LeMahieu homers. Yanks cut the lead to two. Next inning, former Twins, Aaron Hicks goes yard. Ties it up at seven all. Yankees tack on three more in the seventh and eighth. The Twins let the wheels fall off in the middle innings of this one. Lose this one 10 to seven. The game we expected the Twins to get into more nights than not at the beginning of the season when we looked at this team's roster up and down. Subpar pitching. Great bats, smash the overs, a lot of double-dip numbers in the box scores. Twins lose the series 2-1, to one, but hey, awfully entertaining, right? I mean, hey, we had fun, right? Yeah, remember when Dylan Bundy started the season on fire and everybody yeah. was just like, oh, man, Seems if like we a can get this out of him? Yeah. Oh, man, watch out. Watch out, world. Mm. Watch out, league. Mm. We're coming for you. I think – I think what's crazy is you had the Yankees pinned down like they were on the ropes, Mm -hmm. but it was just way too early, man. I started looking at the TV and I was just like, dang, man, they still got to get through like six more innings. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, man, I'm not sure about this. And they showed you why they are the Yankees. But then from a Twins fan perspective, you're just like, oh, Why does it have to be the Yankees out of all teams, these guys? 
And that just kind of shows you, man. I, I was looking at a stat, and I think the Twins tagged the Yankees starting pitching for all that was said about them coming into this series. Good I think point. they tagged their, their starting pitching for something like 15 runs in this series. And they lose two of three of those games. Like, you got to win those. Against a team like that, you got to win those games. And that is just, oh, that is an inexplicable loss. I mean, the the first game, you know, game one, you'll give it to them. You're like, okay, they tagged Jamison Tyon a little bit, but okay, you'll give it to them. All right. Game two, eight to one. You're not really expecting that. That was kind of a, a, a an outlier of a pitching performance in this series. And then you're like, okay, cool. Maybe if you could try to sneak in there and get the – and then when you start, get out to the 3-1 lead, back-to-back-to-back jacks for the first time in franchise history, you're like, oh, man, this might be something. I don't know. And then Byron goes yard again. You're just like, oh, man, this team is feeling it. This team has it, man. And then it's just like, dang, man, but you still got to defend these, these bats. Like, they have a never-say-quit attitude in New York and I think it's because of the confidence of the guys that they have up and down the lineup top to bottom like Joey Gallo really wasn't a a factor the first couple games of the series and then all of a sudden bam you're just Mm -hmm. like dang man now we got to deal with him too like I think this was a good measuring stick for the twins and I think that it was a measuring stick for the sake of like okay we know where we're at we know what we need we know we got to fix some things. And seeing Joe Ryan last night in that rehab start, three innings, four Ks, one hit given up, you're just like, okay, all right, is he ready to come back now? Right. He's good? He's recovered? Okay, cool. Call up Sonny. Hey, Sonny, how you feeling, brother? How you feeling, man? How's the peck? You good? You ready to come back? We need you in the worst way. Come on back. Because the good pitching that they do have, they need them to be available because some of the back half of that rotation is going to struggle. And the the type of 10-7 game that you saw, like you just can't – anytime you score seven runs in a game, and I know we were kind of tongue-in-cheek like, man, the Twins are going to have to win these games 10-9. to You really don't want to see that, though. Mm. I mean, you score seven runs and you lose by three runs, you're just like, dang, man, like how is this happening? This is not supposed to be a thing. And you see the spurts too, but but not a full consistent performance innings mm-hmm. one through nine. They score seven runs quick through the first three innings, but consistency yeah. is the key, and we just haven't seen it yet. As far as that Yankees lineup go, you mentioned Gallo. You just can't sleep on anybody. No matter how right. cool or quiet they've been, any one of those nine guys can go off at any single given notice, and certainly Gallo stepped up after he had been quiet the last few previous games. Yeah, Twins got smoked their first litmus test, remember, against the Astros three and a half weeks ago. This time around, it felt like, okay, this team can hang with the best Mm -hmm. of the best. But they're going to need more pitching, Reggie, with all the injuries they've suffered. You mentioned Ryan and Sonny Gray coming back. But even with that, now that we've seen them versus a playoff caliber team, how badly do the Twins need to go get some sort of pitching help before the trade deadline? If you're the front office for the Twins, you're looking at that game last night Mm -hmm. and that series, and you're kicking yourself. Because so many fans before the season started were kind of looking at the Twins, and they're just like, I don't think they have enough. Mm -hmm. And then I sat there, you know, right before the season opened, 
when they were doing kind of like the tasting and the, the ballpark tour of the foods and all that. And I saw the Twins president get up and say, we expect this team to be a championship level franchise. We have championship expectations. And it's weird, man, because it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, window dressing, you know, like it's really fancy, really fancy. I think what's going on with the twins right now is like, you know, when when people live hood rich, you know, like they got all these fancy things like, you know, uh, you, you drive in a Bentley, but you pull up to a, a mobile home, you know, you're just like. You're like, oh dang, like, woo, like I'm, you know, I want y'all to see me, you know, like when I'm out here in these streets. But then you you pull up, you know, you're driving a three hundred thousand dollar car, but you pull up to a forty thousand dollar house, and you're right. just like, you're like, what's going on? What are we doing here? You're right. Yeah, like, like, or or you know, you you got this huge, beautiful house, lovely, elegant house, but the foundation is terrible, like. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not sure that when a storm comes, if there's a if there's a landslide, if there's an earthquake, like your house is is caving in like this, like, or there's no furniture anywhere. Like, yeah, right, you're just you know, like this are, is, where are we supposed to sit though? This is beautiful, but you're sleeping on the floor. <laughs> there's no headboard, there's no bed frame, nothing. You're you're on the floor with it, you know. And so I think what needs to be done is they need to take a long look at their inventory. They need to look at their prospects, who are they willing to keep on? Who are they willing to give up? Who's a luxury right now? You know, the the Twins are doing all this, you know, with fans having clamored for Royce Lewis to get called up. He got called up, got hurt. Now Jose Miranda is is, is raking. And, you know, this lineup is, is killing it. But Royce Lewis is out. So now you're just like, well, you know, we got some decisions to make. When Royce comes back, you know, who's the odd man out? But I mean, you you got you got production all over the lineup from this team. And that's what you really expected. But now you're just like, okay, who can we afford to lose? Who can we afford to to give up? You know, they signed Aaron Sanchez. He's not the answer, you know, per se. They need to find some bona fide starting pitching to go with these bats that seem to have woken up because if they don't, they're going to end up losing these games like they did last night, 10 to seven, you know, 11 to eight, whatever the case may be where the bats are doing everything that they need to do to get them there, to get them there. And then the pitching is just letting them down time and time again. Like they have a huge, serious pitching problem and they reared an ugly head last night and they need to do something about it. A lot of good points there, Reggie. I think that's going to be the storyline in the back of everybody's minds as we get into the thick of the summer and that trade deadline approaches. Will the Twins kind of push some chips all in here and go all in? You still need some more arms, at least in that middle relievers or bullpen situation outside of Johan Duran, who for the first time in a while, Looked actually, you know, like human. He looked last pedestrian. Night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's throwing. He's throwing one hundred plus, and they're like, "Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're hitting that." <laughs> That's it. Hundred. One hundred one. That's it. Yeah, on, we're man. tagging that, buddy. Yeah. Uh, White Sox lose last night, 
Guardians win. Twins get another tough team now right away. They take on the Rays tonight. Fans mm. hoping for a bounce back and see the bats stay hot for good this time. Devin Smeltzer on the mound tonight. Another series in the backyard right here at Target Field. First pitch, 7-10. Rest assured, Reggie and I will be back here Monday to break that entire series down. Coming up, we're talking which sophomore player will turn out to be the next K.J. Osborne this season for the Vikes. And later, we're taking a blast from the past with Flashback Friday. But first... Our partners at Bet Online continue to be your number one source for all your betting needs. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports info, including this year's basketball finals, Major League Baseball, fights, and even NFL futures. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. All right, well, last season heading into training camp, Ola B.C. Johnson was coming off a rock-solid season and looked to have a good rapport built with Kirk Cousins. But in training camp, he gets hurt, he goes on the IR, misses the entire season, but all of a sudden an opportunity opens up for someone to go out and take. K.J. Osborne, who was buried on the receiver depth chart and was only really used sparingly on special teams at most, catapulted himself into the conversation. And by year's end, finishes with 50 grabs, over 500 yards, and seven touchdowns. So when you look at the roster as it stands today, which sophomore player, or maybe not even a sophomore, just which young guy who hasn't produced much could be the next K.J. Osborne and kind of explode on the scene for the Vikes in 2022? So this guy is not like a super, super duper young guy, um, but he is still a younger guy. Um, and we've talked about him a lot. I'm going to say Irv Smith Jr. Love it. Yeah. He is looking for the type of bounce back season that like fans dream of. Like he's trying to get out there and get after it this season. And if he stays healthy, I believe he can. Just because of, you know, and we've talked about it before, just how Kevin O'Connell uses the tight ends and how he has used tight ends and offenses in the past that he's run. I think Irv Smith has a chance to be like a 50-plus reception guy, eight, 900 uh, yards receiving, you know, nine, 10 touchdowns. Like that would be, that would be ideal for uh, Vikings fans to see out of him production-wise. I think Irv has a lot of talent. I mean, he has some, some catch-and-run abilities as well, like – the dude is super talented. You just kind of want to see him put it all together. And we've seen flashes from him. And, you know, this is maybe not necessarily what you really saw from like a KJ Osborne in that in that regard, where he just kind of came out of nowhere, it seems like. But at the same time, you know, this is a guy that, you know, missed all of last season with the knee injury. And it kind of kind not really got forgotten about, but with Tyler Conklin's production last year, you're just like, oh, okay, you know, now there's no Conklin. And now it's really all on Irv Smith Jr. to be the guy at tight end. And I'm looking forward to seeing him have a big year this season. Still only 22, 
maybe 23 years old, not even scratching the surface yet. And top 50 pick coming out of Alabama for a reason. I mean, this mm-hmm. guy's got the goods. Versatility that a lot of people are going to be very intrigued to see how Kevin O'Connell uses him, not just in line, but standing up out in the slot, maybe even out wide as well as a wide out. He should be able to hit the ground running once he's fully healthy and gets kind of comfortable with this offense. So I'm glad you mentioned him because I'm super excited to watch Irv Smith in this Kevin O'Connell offense specifically. I think with sophomores, Darisaw is obviously the easy pick, but if I'm digging deep in the bag of these sophomores and I'm just throwing my, you know, a dart up on the board, a guy who's just got a lot of raw talent and could flash and make some plays is tight end Zach Davidson. Six foot six, 250. Guy balled out his final season at SMU, 15 touchdowns, and shows he's got the ability to make some plays when given the opportunity. And that's what we're talking about here. Who's got the opportunity, like when Ola BC went down and KG Osborne had a chance to step in? I think when you look at that tight end depth chart, how many times have we brought that up on the show? After Irv, it gets bleak, man. So if you were to go down again or miss some time, Davidson could easily beat out Ellison or Johnny Munt at some point and steal some reps and see the field again, just like we saw with Osborne. Sometimes that's all it takes is just an opportunity and the rest is history. Darisaw, obvious pick, deep sleeper, going with Zach Davidson. It got me thinking too, who's the most underrated Vikings player nationally from a national standpoint a guy that vikings fans know is great but you don't hear a ton about on nfl shows or the top 100 lists or twitter etc you brought up adam thielen last week as that guy but is there still another underrated player that doesn't get a ton of love from the national spotlight to me and watching vikings games uh in person i pretty much was you know, almost at every game last year when I got here and watching in person, I think one of the most slept on or underrated players on the Vikings is Eric Kendricks. Yes. All the dude does is make plays every game. Like the dude is phenomenal, uber athletic at the linebacker position. You know, one-handed interceptions, like the dude is a is a a sideline to sideline runner, you know, tackling machine, just all like all around disruptor of of the the Lord have mercy, I can't talk today. Um just all around disruptor back there in the defensive unit. And I think he's going to find a way to shine even more in this unit. And then also, you know, he's been one of the ones that were most vocal about, you know, the team having been a fear-based organization and all all the strife that, you know, it seems like the players were kind of playing through and dealing with. Like, he still went out there and balled out every game. And so there was a stretch where he had interceptions in multiple games, like consecutively last season. And I really just don't see, you know, like, you know, when the, when the all-pro teams came out, when you know the pro bowl came out like what more do you need to see i know guys like darius leonard are you know the more flashy picks and you know bobby wagner has been doing it for a long time and all that but so is eric kendrick's like the dude just goes out there and makes plays and i really just don't see a lot of people nationally talking about his ability and the things that he does to disrupt 
games and impact games. Yeah, so glad you brought him up because you're right. When anybody brings up the discussion of the best linebackers in the NFL, you eventually get to EK, but he's never discussed as that one, two, maybe even three top tier guys. And and I just don't get it. All he does is produce on the field coming out of UCLA, Dick Buckus award winner, best linebacker in football. Teams up with Anthony Barr and Mike Zimmer. They go on to put up the best defense of the NFL in 2017. And he's just been a pillar of this Vikings defense. I could still say the name Harrison Smith, too, from a national standpoint, mm. should be regarded as the best, if not a top two safety in the NFL. I know he's getting up there in age. I know he's a tick slower. But you watch this year, I think under Ed Donatel and a fresh start here, he's going to show people why nationally. Fans know it here. They've seen it for a decade plus. But nationally, why he should be regarded as one of the best players, safeties at his position in the NFL. One more other guy i got to mention, Brian O'Neill. Uh, is one of my favorite stats. I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago. Found it on Twitter. Brett Coleman. Brian O'Neill has started for four years since his debut as a rookie and only given up six sacks across more than 4,000 snaps. He's he averages man. 25 pressures allowed per year and has not missed a game since becoming a starter four weeks into his career. Maybe that's even more impressive than the pressures and sacks allowed. He's always on the field. He never misses time. And, and that's so critical for offensive linemen and their chemistry together for reference good tackles like orlando brown gave up six sacks just last season alone so that number is just kind of nuts man he's been a stud right tackle for years now and he just doesn't get a ton of love because you know he plays a boring unsexy position right tackle but he's been so good for the vikes and Kirk cousins protection and just doesn't get that national love like he should but he will though in due time i'm sure he will but that's uh, that's a that's a, a testament to him though Right. When you have when you have guys on the offensive line that you don't necessarily talk about, that's a good thing. Because usually when you talk about guys along the front, you're usually talking about how bad they are. And right. because he's not mentioned a whole lot, it's because he is so good at what he does. But let me go back to Kendricks really quick. Mm-hmm. Kendricks was a first-team All-Pro in 2019, okay? Mm. He played 15 games. 110 tackles, okay? He had a half of a sack and no interceptions, okay? Forced two fumbles, right? Last season, 143 tackles. Jeez, man, what are we doing? Five sacks, two interceptions, and I think both of those interceptions were (sighs) one-handed. How is he first-team All-Pro in 2019? I get it. And he's not even third-team, not like doesn't go, doesn't get on the All-Pro list at all in 2021. Like, what are they looking at? Make it make sense. I don't what get it. What are the voters looking at? Like, he had a half of a sack in 2019. He had five sacks last year yeah. with 143 tackles, two interceptions. What are they looking at? 93 days until Vikings football is on the books. Six weeks before the start of training camp, which takes place at TCO facilities. The calm before the storm is happening as we speak. All right. 
Time has come. New segment. Gather around the campfire here. It's the first edition of Flashback Friday and a blast from the past. And before I start, I got to preface where I kind of got this idea from, Reg, because I was sitting down really getting back into the NBA again this season. And I'm watching the playoffs a few weeks ago and my jaw's on the floor because it was the first time I really sat down and put all my focus on Luka Doncic for all four quarters. I was just blown away at this guy. He can do literally everything. And I know... I know, late to the party, dude. Where you been? We've known this for a while. But it just got me thinking as I'm watching him just have total control of the game about some of the best NBA players of all time that revolutionized the game. Guys from previous eras who really changed the game. And I start to do my research. Of course, you pull up all the all-time greats. Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. Chamberlain. Dr. J, Kobe, etc. Kind of a two-man race, though, for the top spot with MJ and LeBron, for sure. But the more research I did, I realized there's another guy that, when it comes to the all-time GOAT conversations, you just don't hear his name mentioned with the big two just as much. And it really has nothing to do with talent, but strictly only because his career was cut short. Had he had the same longevity as the others, he would have to be talked about much more as the best of all time. So let me set the stage. The year's 1979, and with the first overall pick, the Los Angeles Acres select a point guard from Michigan State, Irvin Johnson Jr., a.k.a. Magic. Now, the Magic Man. First overall pick, of course, Reggie, a lot of hype. But this was not like any other rookie the league had seen before. The minute he stepped on the court, he revolutionized the game. Now, he comes out the gate hot, number one overall pick, coming off a national championship with the Spartans over Larry Bird and Indiana State. And by the way, quick side note, you can't bring up magic without bringing up Larry Bird and one of, if not the most heated rivalry there's ever been in the NBA. Yep. But we'll get into that another day. But fast forward, it's now the finals against who else? Dr. J. Big George McGinnis, Daryl Dawkins, a.k.a. Chocolate Thunder, yeah. and the Philadelphia 76ers. Tall task for anyone. It's game six. Lakers are up three games to two. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is out with an ankle injury. Guy didn't even make the flight. He's back at home on the couch in L.A. watching on TV. Now, Kareem was the MVP of the league that year, so this hurts big time. 3-2 lead, heading into Philly, no Kareem. Paul Westhead, the coach of the Lakers, who was an excellent uh, player of his own right, by the way, Hall of Famer, as was the opposing coach, Billy Cunningham of the 76ers. But what does he do with Kareem out at center? Is he going to throw some hack in there, some backup center, some guy off the bench? No. He decides to start magic, a point guard at the center position, because he knew at the time what a lot of people didn't yet, that magic was a true five-position player. The first of its kind at that time. Nobody that I know, even in today's age, except LeBron, of course, could do what Magic did, where you'd get all-star level production at any and all five positions you plugged him into. So Magic gets told before the game, he's filling in for Kareem at center in Game 6 NBA Finals. Reggie, Magic's 20 years old at the time. We talk about mm -hmm. how amazing it is. Anthony Edwards is so young and the things he's doing. Imagine him filling in for the MVP in the finals at 20 years old. What does he do? Oh, you know, just goes off for 42 points, 15 boards, and seven assists at the center position. Yep. Thanks to Magic, Lakers go on, win game six without Kareem. That was just the beginning. Went on to help the Lakers win not one, not two, not three, not four, 
but five championships in the 80s, played in the finals nine times, won the MVP three times, 12-time All-Star, led the league in assists four times. He leads the NBA in assists per game still to this day with 11.2. And had his career not been cut short, I truly believe he, and not John Stockton, would be the NBA's all-time leader in assists. And I think if you were to ask people from that era that got to watch and see Magic play because of the way he kind of revolutionized and changed the game as we know it, there's got to be a strong case to be made. He did more for his team and more for the NBA than any other player, at least at his time. Now, certainly, when you're mentioning the best of the best, you've also got to mention the Wilt Chamberlains and the Dr. J's too, but Magic was truly the most valuable player to his team, more than any other player of the decade and maybe ever. He could play in the paint, deep with the big, slash like a wingman, play outside on the boundary or wing. And he was the best at point guard, as we know, distributing, scoring, dictating the flow of the game. So all these lists come out every year, right? Top 100, all you ever see, MJ, of course, six rings, a dynasty of his own with the Bulls, of course, not downplaying that by any means. But if you look at Magic's career, starting with his rookie year and what he did in game six, First, Wilt Chamberlain as a 20-year-old, and the long list of accolades he added to his resume, it's it's hard not to put him in the discussion when you realized how he changed the game forever once he stepped on the court because he wasn't just a point guard. He was everything, and at that time, that just simply had not been done, and still to this day, again, I think the only other player to control the game at all five positions is LeBron himself. So to the people watching, listening, that got to see Magic in his prime, the elderly statesman from that era, if you will. I want to know. Hit us up on Twitter or YouTube in the comments. Let us know who you think was the greatest to do it. And if you got to see Magic play, what was it like? How impactful was he to the NBA at the time? Should he be in discussion as the NBA's greatest player of all time after he did things that had never been done in the NBA court and changed the game in just a fashion and magnitude uh, we just hadn't seen before. Career, of course, was cut short after 12 seasons. And because of that, I think it's tossed to the side a little bit quicker when talking about players who revolutionized the game the most. But yeah, hit us up on Twitter, at LockedOnMIN, or throw us your vote on YouTube in the comments section. Who knows, Reggie? Maybe we get a little, uh, you know, stir up a little healthy debate here. Here's some hot takes from generations before us that was able to witness the greatness of Magic and the Lakers in the 80s. But Reggie, that's a blast from the past on our new Flashback Friday. A lot to absorb. I've given you a lot here. Take a moment if you need one. But <laughs> what's your thoughts on Magic and his place in NBA history? You're a big NBA, big basketball guy. Greatest player to ever see in person for me was Kobe Bryant. And he, like the other names I just mentioned, on another level, you just knew the moment he took the ball, how much control he had of the game. Much like Magic, Wilton, Jordan, where are you, you know, with Magic ranking among the best? And also, side note, who was the best player you ever saw live? Who's the best player you saw in person in the NBA? Uh, the best player I ever saw in person, probably Kevin Durant. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah, I saw Kevin Durant in person um, against the Lakers. So mm -hmm. I'm a Lakers guy. Yep. All right, that's that's my team. You know, my so dad kind of choir here. Yeah, my dad kind of put that on me uh, before he passed. Like that. Love that's that. my team. Love that. Right um, I am a huge, huge Kobe Bryant fan, and Kobe Bryant's last season, I got a chance to go to Oklahoma City 
to see the Thunder play the Lakers. Now, Kobe only played maybe like 13 minutes because, you know, that that season he was on an extreme minutes restriction. And, you know, he played about 12, 13 minutes and then big old ice packs on both shoulders. Right, I remember and that. And on the knees, like mm-hmm. he's, he's chilling. And so I was able to capture a couple Kobe Bryant shots making it. So, like, he's the best player I ever saw in person. But that was at the end. So I didn't see the greatness that was Kobe Bryant's peak in person. Prime Kobe, right. But I did see prime Kevin Durant in person, and they cooked the Lakers. Him and Russell Westbrook, I think Durant had something like 30-plus points that night. So that was incredible. Now, where I will say about Magic is I don't know if people underrate him or anything like that, but I, I do think that you know, because there are so many people who have come after Magic who are a little bit more specialized in shooting than Magic was, I think maybe that's where sometimes Magic gets overtaken. But, like, Magic was flash. The league had never seen anything like Magic before. Like, he's coming out there, he's behind his back through the legs with it, you know, passes like, hee hee, you know, and all this good stuff. Like, People hadn't seen that. And before, like, you know, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch Winning Time on HBO, but fantastic series. I'm about halfway through it. Absolutely yeah, love fantastic it. Fantastic series. Yeah, it's great. And, and that really kind of shows you the impact that Magic had. But I think there were a lot of people who looked at Magic like he was, like, disrespecting the game or something like that because mm-hmm. of some of his – antics but that was just how he played basketball basketball gave him joy he was out there just having fun out there like and he just happened to be more skilled than most people that he was uh, taking on you know outside of like a larry bird or something like that and he had the grit and he had the fire the competitive nature like he wanted to beat everybody he never wanted to lose and that was on display that fueled him And when you talk about the NBA greatest, you have to put Magic in there because he revolutionized the point guard position. 6'9 point guard. Like, he walked so LeBron could run. Mm. That's that's really all there is to it. Mm. And LeBron will give Magic his due and his reverence whenever he talks about him as well. Now LeBron plays on that same team, does some of the cool, flashy things that Magic used to do. And it's just funny because, like I said, there's such a premium now on shooting and all that. And Magic really wasn't that much of a shooter. Like, he could score, but he wasn't a guy that was going to stretch the floor much. He wasn't a guy that, you know, just come down, give you, you know, J, pure shooter, Mm -hmm. all this type of stuff. Like you see from, like, the Steph Currys and the Jason Tatums and the Damian Lillards of the world the Clay Thompsons of the world. Like, he wasn't going to do that, but he was going to find a way to get you a bucket, and he was going to find a way to put the ball in a playmaker's hands so they could easily get a bucket. And the league hadn't seen a player like that before, and now it's just so commonplace for these guys to be so skilled, but Magic was the gold standard, and he walked, so a lot of these players who do a I mean, he walked so guys like Draymond Green could Mm. run. You know, Draymond Green is a six foot nine, what you know, point forward, mm-hmm. however you want to call him. You know, people hadn't seen people do what Magic had done before, and he 
was the man. Like he was magic out there on the floor, simply put. Very well said, Reggie. And again, I'm just getting back into the NBA a lot more here this year. It's nice to be able to chat with somebody who's so well diversed in the NBA and has a rich history of the Lakers because I'm sitting there watching Luka. I start to think about the past and, and the greats before him that kind of revolutionized the game. I do some research. I'm sitting here thinking, am I crazy or what? I mean, I know he gets talked about, you know, in the discussion, but maybe he should be talked about even more than he has been. So, Great to get a little, just a, a tidbit, a taste of of how good Magic was and what he did for the Lakers in the 80s and what he did for the game itself. I was watching PTI yesterday with Kornheiser and Wilbon, and they were talking about game six of the 80 finals. And in the closing minutes to seal the game and win the championship for the Lakers, Magic put up a little rainbow hook shot over mm -hmm. Kevin McHale and Larry Bird. Word and to Kareem. Yeah, yeah, and Wilbon called it the greatest shot in NBA history, best shot of all time. So, yeah, again, I'm just really curious. Maybe we can get some good old-fashioned debate stirred up here, maybe on Twitter, on YouTube. Get the people from that era and generation talking about, again, how impactful he was to the NBA. Again, that's on Twitter, at LockedOnMIN, or reply in the comments section on our YouTube page. Looking forward to hearing some feedback from our first edition of Flashback Friday with a little blast from the past with Magic Johnson. All right, back here Monday, breaking down more Twins, Vikings, plenty more. Remember to like, rate, review, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Join us every day for another episode covering all the biggest sports topics in Minnesota. He's Reggie Wilson. Follow him on Twitter, at Reggie Wilson, and on CARE11. I'm Luke Inman on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman. Tune in Monday to Superior Sports Talk, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota. For Reggie, I'm Luke. Until Monday, signing out. Be blessed. Spread love this weekend. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota.